Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our daily reading conference call on A Course in Miracles, Original Edition. We read from the text of A Course in Miracles, Original Edition, which is published by our dear friends at the Course in Miracles Society. You can access an online copy of the original edition by going to jcim.net, where if you mouse over the link at the top of the page for online edition, you will see the link to read ACIMOE. On that same drop-down menu, there's also a link to subscribe to an excellent email sent to you by the Course in Miracles Society, which contains both the workbook lesson and the text reading for the day. My name is Lemoyne Castle, and this call happens for and with you every weekday morning, Monday through Friday, from about 9.15 to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Today we're continuing our reading in Chapter 5, uh, healing and wholeness with section seven, the two decisions. And uh, at the top of the hour, we will pause to touch in with the lesson for the day, which is the uh, lesson uh, 58. Uh, review of lessons 36, 37, <clears throat> 38, 39, like that, uh, 40. And uh, <laughs> that'll be at the top of the hour, led by friends, as usual. Well, um, let me turn to you, Laurie, and ask, do you have one of your wonderful noetic openings for the call? Mm-hmm. I do, Lemoyne. Uh, and I was really happy to find this new poet, new to me. Uh, his name is Sam Yao. And um, this poem called Acceptance makes me want more of his. It goes like this. My curriculum was designed for my growth in this lifetime. May I embrace all experiences as they unfold on my path. May I know I am here to live my unique life. May I refrain from judging events as good or bad. May I be wise enough not to compare my realities with those of others. May I step into my healing by accepting what is. May I forgive myself and others and learn my lessons and move on. May I fully taste each unfolding and leave no trace of guilt or shame and feel joy again, burdened by neither the past nor the future. I live in the present moment, starting afresh each new day. My holiness envelops everything I see. Amen. Well, thank you for that. Loved it. Thank you. 
Beautiful. Thank you, Lori, so much. Thank you. Yeah, it spoke to me, too. Thanks, you guys. And thank you, Lori. Um, okay, so this morning I have with us some reading. I have Lori uh, Brand, Robin Marie, Lana, Judy, Jessica, and Sandra. Is there anyone else who's joined the call who would like to say good morning or maybe join the reading list? Good morning, it's Karen. I can read. Great. Thanks, Karen. There's Sandra. Um, anyone else would like to, to say good morning or join the list, reading list? Morning, Wendy's here. Uh, I'll be listening. Thank you, Wendy. All right. Okay, I'll go ahead and get the reading started then. In Chapter 5, Healing and Wholeness, Section 7, The Two Decisions. <laughs> the Two Decisions. Okay, uh, this paragraph 59. Perhaps some of our concepts will become clearer and more personally meaningful if the ego's use of guilt is clarified. The ego has a purpose, just as the Holy Spirit has. The ego's purpose is fear, because only the fearful can be egotistic. <clears throat> the ego's logic is as impeccable as that of the Holy Spirit, because your mind has all the means as at its disposal decide with heaven or earth as it elects. But again, let us remember that both are in you. In heaven there is no guilt because the kingdom is shared through the... Oh, excuse me. In heaven there is no guilt because the kingdom is attained through the atonement which releases you to create. The word create is appropriate here because once what you have made is undone by the Holy Spirit, the blessed residue is restored and therefore continues in creation. Lori. Uh, chapter 5, Healing and Wholeness, Section 7, The Two Decisions. Perhaps some of our concepts will become clearer and more personally meaningful is the ego's use of guilt is clarified. The ego has a purpose, just as the Holy Spirit has. The ego's purpose is fear, because only the fearful can be egotistic. The ego's logic is as impeccable as that of the Holy Spirit, because your mind has all the means at its disposal to side with heaven or earth as it elects. But again, let us remember that both are in you. 
both are in you. In heaven, there is no guilt because the kingdom is attained through the atonement, which releases you to create. The word, quote-unquote, create, is appropriate here because once you, excuse me, because once what you have made is undone by the Holy Spirit, the blessed residue is restored and therefore continues in creation. What is truly blessed is incapable of giving rise to guilt and must give rise to joy. This makes it invulnerable to the ego because its peace is unassailable. It is invulnerable to disruption because it is whole. Guilt is always disruptive. Anything that engenders fear is divisive because it obeys the laws of division. If the ego is the symbol of the separation, it is also the symbol of guilt. Guilt is more than merely not of God. It is the symbol of attack on God. This is totally meaningless. This is a totally meaningless concept except to the ego. But do not underestimate the power of the ego's belief in it. This is the belief from which all guilt really stands. Thank you, Lori and friends. 60. What is truly blessed is incapable of giving rise to guilt and must give rise to joy. This makes it invulnerable to the ego because its peace is unassailable. It is invulnerable to disruption because it is whole. Guilt is always disruptive. Anything that engenders fear is divisive because it obeys the law of division. If the ego is the symbol of the separation, it is also the symbol of guilt. Guilt is more than merely not of God. It is the symbol of the attack on God. This is a totally meaningless concept except to the ego. But do not underestimate the power of the ego's belief in it. This is the belief from which all guilt really stems. <clears throat> 61. The ego is the part of the mind which believes in division. How can part how can part of God detach itself without believing it is attacking him? We spoke before of the authority problem as involving the concept of usurping God's power. The ego believes that this is what you did because it believes it is you. It follows then that if you identify with the ego, you must perceive yourself as guilty. Whenever you respond to your ego, you will experience guilt and you will fear punishment. The ego is quite literally a fearful thought. Thank you, Brian. And Robin Marie. Sixty-one. The ego is the part of the mind which believes in division. How can part of God detach itself without believing it is attacking him. We spoke before of the authority problem as involving the concept of usurping God's power. The ego believes that this is what you did because it believes it is you. It follows then that if you identify with the ego, you must perceive yourself as guilty 
Whenever you respond to your ego, you will experience guilt and you will fear punishment. The ego is quite literally a fearful thought. 62. How ridiculous the idea of attacking God may be to the sane mind. Never forget that the ego is not sane. It represents a delusional system and it speaks for it. Listening to the ego's voice means that you believe it is possible to attack God. You believe that a part of him has been torn away by you. The classic picture of fear of retaliation from without then follows because the severity of the guilt is so acute that it must be projected. Although Freud was wrong about the basic conflict itself, he was very accurate in describing its effects. Thank you, Robin Murray. And Lana. Okay, 62. However ridiculous the idea of attacking God may be to the same mind, never forget that the ego is not sane. It represents a delusional system, and it speaks for it. Listening to the ego's voice means that you believe it is possible to attack God. You believe that a part of him has been torn away by you. The classic picture of fear of retaliation from without then follows because the severity of the guilt is so acute that it must be projected. Although Freud was wrong about the, cl- the basic conflict itself, he was very accurate in describing its effects. 63. Whatever you accept into your mind has reality for you. It is, however, only your acceptance of it that makes it real. If you enthrone the ego in it, The fact that you have accepted it or allowed it to enter makes it your reality. This is because the mind, as God created it, is capable of creating reality. We said before that you must learn to think with God. To think with him is to think like him. This engenders joy, not guilt because it is natural. Guilt is a sure sign that your thinking is unnatural. Perverted thinking will always be attended with guilt because it is the belief in sin. Thank you, Lana. And... Sixty-three. Whatever you accept into your mind has reality for you. It is, however, only your acceptance of it that makes it real. If you enthrone the ego in it, the fact that you have accepted it 
or allowed it to enter makes it your reality. This is because the mind as God created it is capable of creating reality. We said before that you must learn to think with God. To think with Him is to think like Him. This engenders joy, not guilt, because it is natural. Guilt is a sure sign your thinking is unnatural. Perverted thinking will always be attended with guilt because it is the belief in sin. (coughs) The ego does not perceive sin as a lack of love. It perceives sin as a positive act of assault. This is an interpretation which is necessary to the ego's survival. Because as soon as you regard sin as a lack, you will automatically attempt to remedy the situation, and you will succeed. The ego regards this as doom, but you must learn to regard it as freedom. The guiltless mind cannot suffer. Being being sane, it heals the body because it has It has been healed. The guiltless mind cannot suffer. Being sane, it heals the body because it, it, the mind, has been healed. The sane mind cannot conceive of illness because it cannot conceive of attacking anyone or anything. Amen. Thank you, Judy. And Jessica. 64. The ego does not perceive sin as a lack of love. It perceives sin as a positive act of assault. This is an interpretation which is necessary to the ego's survival because as soon as you regard sin as a lack, you will automatically attempt to remedy the situation and you will succeed. The ego regards this as doom, but you must learn to regard it as freedom. The guiltless mind cannot suffer. Being sane, it heals the body because it has been healed. The sane mind cannot conceive of illness because it cannot conceive of attacking anyone or anything. 65. We said before that illness is a form of magic. It might be better to say that it is a form of magical solution. The ego believes that by punishing itself, it will mitigate the punishment of God. Yet even in this, it is arrogant. It attributes to God a punishing intent and then takes over this intent as its own prerogative. It tries to usurp all the functions of God as it perceives them because it recognizes that only total allegiance can be trusted. Thank you, Jessica. And Sandra. 65. We said before that illness is a form of magic. It might be better to say that it is a form of magical solution. 
The ego believes that by punishing itself, it will mitigate the punishment of God. Yet, even in this, it is arrogant. It attributes to God a punishing intent and then takes over this intent as its own prerogative. It tries to usurp all the function of functions of God as it perceives them because it recognizes that only total allegiance can be trusted. 66. The ego cannot oppose the laws of God any more than you can, but it can interrupt them according to what it wants, just as you can. This is why the question, what do you want, must be answered. You are answering it every minute and every second, and each moment of decision is a judgment which is anything but ineffectual. Its effects will follow automatically until the decision is changed. This is repeated here because you have not learned it. But again, your decision can be unmade as well as made. Remember, though, that the alternatives are unalterable. Hmm. Thank you, Sandra. And Karen. 66. The ego cannot oppose the laws of God any more than you can, but it can interpret them according to what it wants, just as you can. That is why the question, quote, what, what do you want, must be answered. You are answering it in every minute and every second. And each moment of decision is a judgment, which is anything but ineffectual. Its effects will follow automatically until the decision is changed. This is repeated here because you have not learned it. But again, your decision can be unmade as well as made. Remember, though, that the alternatives are unalterable. 67. The Holy Spirit, like the ego, is a decision. Together, they constitute all the alternatives which the mind can accept and obey. The ego and the Holy Spirit are the only choices open to you. God created one, and so you cannot eradicate it. You made the other, and so you can. Only what God creates is irreversible and unchangeable. What you have made can always be changed. Because when you do not think like God, you are not really thinking at all. Delusional ideas are not real thoughts, although you can believe in them. But you are wrong. The function of thought comes from God and is in God. As part of his thought, you cannot think apart from him. Thank you, Karen. And is there a new reader for 67 and 68? 
we have a new reader for 67 and 8? Okay, back to you, Lori. The Holy Spirit, like the ego, is a decision. Together they constitute all the alternatives which the mind can accept and obey. The ego and the Holy Spirit are the only choices open to you. God created one, and so you cannot eradicate it. You made the other, and so you can. Only what God creates is irreversible and unchangeable. What you've made can always be changed because when you do not think like God, you are not really thinking at all. Delusional ideas are not real thoughts, although you can believe in them. But you are wrong. The function of thought comes from God and is in God. As part of his thought, you cannot think apart from him. The rational thought is a thought disorder. God himself orders your thought because your thought was created by him. Guilt feelings are always a sign that you do not know this. They also show that you believe you can think apart from God and want to. Every thought disorder is attended by guilt at its inception and is maintained by guilt in its continuance. Guilt is inescapable for those who believe they order their own thought and must therefore obey its orders. This makes them feel responsible for their mind errors without recognizing that by accepting this responsibility, they are really reacting irresponsibly. If the sole responsibility of the miracle worker is to accept the atonement for himself, and I assure you that it is, then the responsibility for what is atoned for cannot be yours. Thank you, Laurie. And Fran? 68. Irrational thought is a thought disorder. God himself orders your thought because your thought was created by him. Guilt feelings are always a sign that you do not know this. They also show that you believe you can think apart from God and want to. Every thought disorder is attended by guilt at its inception and maintained by guilt in its continuance. Guilt is inescapable for those who believe they order their own thought and must therefore obey its orders. This makes them feel responsible for their mind errors without recognizing that by accepting this responsibility, they are really reacting irresponsibly. If the sole responsibility of the miracle worker is to accept the atonement for himself, and I assure you that it is, then the responsibility for what is atoned for cannot be yours. 69. The dilemma cannot be resolved except by accepting the solution of undoing. You would be responsible for the effects of all your wrong thinking if it could not be undone. The purpose of the atonement is to save the past in purified form only. If you accept a remedy for a thought disorder and a remedy whose efficiency is without doubt, how can its symptoms remain? You have reason to question the validity of symptom cure, 
but no one believes that the symptoms can remain if the underlying cause is removed. Thank you, Bram. And Robin Marie. I lost my place. Where am I? Okay. Sixty nine. Yes, yes, ma'am. Exactly. Okay. The dilemma cannot be resolved except by accepting the solution of undoing. You would be responsible for the effects of all your wrong thinking if it could not be undone. The purpose of the atonement is to save the past in purified form only. If you accept a remedy for a thought disorder and a remedy whose efficacy is beyond doubt, how can its symptoms remain? You have reason to question the validity of symptom cure, but no one believes that the symptoms can remain if the underlying cause is removed. Uh, Thank you, Robin Murray. And thank you, everyone who read. Um, Hmm. I, I, uh, <laughs> I think to do just this, there was one, one, perhaps more, one word that stood out as being emphasized and was read differently, which actually, it fits, but I'm going to reread that sentence, uh, as I, as I see it anyway, and, and then open the floor. Okay, from 66, the ego cannot oppose the laws of God any more than you can, but it can interpret them according to what it wants, just as you can. That is why the question, what do you want, must be answered. And uh, not to... Not to uh, <clears throat> load up the little time for sharing here, because according to the next sentence here, you are answering it <clears throat> every minute and every second, and each moment of decision is a judgment, which is anything but ineffectual. Anyway, um, I I'll give him to just do that and use that as the um, as a prelude to opening the floor. Got a few minutes before the top of the hour. So I'd just like to um, point out something in the first paragraph paragraph that caught my attention was the word was the word alex that um the ego's logic is as impeccable as that of the holy spirit because our mind has all the means at its disposal to side with heaven or earth as it elects 
And somewhere earlier in the text it spoke about that, um, only getting one vote, that I can either I can either vote for heaven or I can vote for the earth or hell. <laughs> I guess was where it was using the comparison. But the um the idea that one cancels out the other, that I have to choose for one, I can't have them both. That's all for now. Thank you. Thanks, Thank Judy. Thanks, Judy. Thank you, Judy. I'm, this is Sandra, and I really appreciate you bringing up bringing out that paragraph because it is a decision that I make in every moment. What is it that I really want? Do I want unity, oneness, or do I want separation? And, I, you know, this victim, victimizer consciousness is so insidious and it sneaks in there. And it's just, you know, any victim is the ego. It's a fear thought. And I, I'm just... I'm, I'm sorry I keep bringing it up, but it's cutting edge for me because it's an identity that it has been that has been plaguing me for, you know, I think I got it all handled and I'm not a victim anymore, and then all of a sudden it comes back again. So I feel like I'm clearing it not just for myself, but for the whole damn world. And and victim victimizer consciousness is is war thinking, and you know it says. Irrational thought is a thought disorder, and in God's world, in, in in the Christ and the resurrection, is the the biggest uh, um, element that it wants to tell me is that there are no victims in this world, and so victim victimizer has just got to evaporate. It's got to vanish, and let it begin with me. I'm complete. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you, Sandra. Appreciate Thank your you, Sandra. I'm with you. <laughs> All the way. Attack and defend. Attack and defend. You know, versus the power of peace that opposes nothing. Amen. Thank you, Sandra. Yeah, Sandra. I mean, it kept coming up for me in this reading that, you know, this whole this whole impulse towards what's called woke and you know where the label because it's just become a form of judgment against what is judgment against prejudice and it's like okay that's getting a bit sick now um you know that uh i believe jesus would instruct us right everyone to be meek and mild and to only bless and share joy and you know <laughs> Be truly helpful, these things, um, and, uh, you know, be slow to, very slow to judgment, slow to anger. And if, uh, yeah, if, if we get, you can see in the judgment of prejudice, perceive, mind you, just perceive, it doesn't, have to be demonstrable intent that this is trying to fix the problem with the with the uh, 
methods that create it and it, it doesn't work, the answer must really be some form of undoing. And, uh, yeah, the real question here is then would be, what do you want? I mean, to, to stop and go to that, and I think much of the, much of the kerfuffle, whatever the form, um, can go away in, um, in the act of joining to pursue um, or rec- to simply recognize heaven and the kingdom instead of uh, ego in a fearful world. Anyway, um, <clears throat> I didn't mean to fill up the rest of the time, but there we go. And so it is a time when we touch in with the lesson for the day. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I tell you, there was one other thing that came up more directly in response to you, Judy. One of the lessons for, that we're reviewing today contains the question, if guilt is hell, what is its opposite? And uh, that is a question really related to this thing of what do you want? <laughs> anyway... Now, I ask now that you give your attention to Fran as she leads us in Lesson 58, which is a review of Lesson 36 through 40. Over to you, Fran. Thank you. Hi, everybody. We are in the first part of the workbook, and we're on our first review. Uh, And today we're on Lesson 58, which is the review of 36... 37, 38, 39, and 40. So what we'll do is I will read the lesson and we'll do a minute meditation. And then after we're done the five, we'll do a three-minute meditation on all of them. So here we go. The first one, lesson 36. My holiness envelops everything I see. From my holiness does the perception of the real world come. Having forgiven I no longer see myself as guilty. I can accept the innocence that is the truth about me. Seen through understanding eyes, the holiness of the world is all I see. For I can picture only the thoughts I hold about myself. My holiness envelops everything I see. One minute.
Lesson 37. My holiness blesses the world. The perception of my holiness does not bless me alone. Everyone and everything I see in its light shares in the joy it brings to me. There is nothing that is apart from this joy because there is nothing that does not share my holiness. As I recognize my holiness, so does the holiness of the world shine forth for everyone to see. My holiness blesses the world. One minute. Lesson 38, there is nothing, there is nothing my holiness cannot do. My holiness is unlimited in its power to heal because it is unlimited in its power to save. What is there to be saved from except illusions? And what are all illusions except false ideas about myself? My holiness undoes them all by asserting the truth about me. In the presence of my holiness, which I share with God himself, all idols vanish. There is nothing my holiness cannot do. One minute. Lesson 39, my holiness is my salvation. Since my holiness saves me from all guilt, recognizing my holiness is recognizing my salvation. It is also recognizing the salvation of the world. Once I have accepted my holiness, 
Nothing can make me afraid. And because I am unafraid, everyone must share in my understanding, which is the gift of God to me and to the world. My holiness is my salvation. One minute. Lesson 40, I am blessed as the Son of God. Herein lies my claim to all good and only good. I am blessed as the Son of God. All good things are mine because God intended them for me. I cannot suffer any loss or deprivation or pain because of who I am. My Father supports me, protects me, and directs me in all things. His care for me is infinite and is with me forever. I am eternally blessed as his son. I am blessed as the son of God. One minute. My holiness envelops everything I see. My holiness blesses the world. There is nothing my holiness cannot do. My holiness is my salvation. I am blessed as a son of God. Three minutes.
My holiness envelops everything I see. My holiness blesses the world. There is nothing my holiness cannot do. My holiness is my salvation. I am blessed as a son of God. Amen. Thank you so much, Fran. Yes. Amen. Thank you, Fran. Thank you, Fran. That was wonderful. Well, thank you, guys. It's just amazing what we learn about our holiness. I love that these five lessons went together with us. I'm complete. Thanks, Fran. I really like the way you um, do those lessons because they really make me contemplate and go in deeper. And um, <clears throat> I'm just going to quickly say it again because this is my cutting edge right now is this whole victim thing, which is I like to use the word my wholeness, it, which I, I, I believe is the same as my holiness, and how I destroy my wholeness is to think victim thoughts because as soon as I think that and again very subtle very insidious I I think I'm broken and and you know I'm not whole and complete and God says I am whole and complete I can't be broken it's impossible you know that there is no death and what's the biggest thing with victim victimizer it's death so again, I'm just going to bring it up again because I just think it's so prevalent on this planet and it's definitely in me. So I'm going to work it. I'm complete. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you, Sandra, for sharing your past. Yeah, the whole, the whole um, identifying myself with the totality of the reality of the kingdom of God sounds like a lot of words, but in my heart it's one big thing because it's everything that God gave me everything when he gave me himself. And when I hear anybody speak of wholeness or holiness, sacredness, vision, you know, the holy instant, holy encounters. Um, I think, you know, all all that we've learned from the Course is encapsulated in the means and the end being the same because all the means point to what the end is, is our ultimate communion, our unity in that state of grace, being purely mind and purely spirit. And... Letting go, letting go of the images and the thoughts of the world, 
you know, I, I, I really had to, to go through that netty netty process in order to come back into it and understand it more completely. But for me, I couldn't, uh, that was just the way I had to do it. And, and everybody's got their own way. But um, the, the holiness, feeling it experientially and going deeper into that. And, um, and from that place, asking myself questions like, is attack real? How is that I can never be affected by a lack of love from someone or someone could, cannot be affected by my not loving them, that no one can hurt anybody? was something that I really wrestled with. And the whole idea of attack being a meaningless concept, it's, an, it's a, a word and it's a symbol of something the ego thought up that did not exist before the separation. So going back to my beginning, the origin, how I was created, in order to look at the ego and look at the decision that was made to be separate and in the body, you know, and sorting out the true from the false. How meaningful is any of this in coming from the perspective of capital reality? Because that's the only place where it can be judged truly, where the ego can be judged. And Lemoyne, you got me going on this because it it's the only proper place for the use of judgment, that I judge my ego and its value because either I value it or I value being the kingdom of God. That's the two decisions here. Value being an image on earth, a body on earth, body-mind on earth, and the ego's thinking in and around it. But I'm going on too long. I have um, just takes me back back to the beginning, before I became a face, before I had eyes, before I had ears, and restoring my awareness to being Christ consciousness, my Buddha mind, my natural factory settings, takes me all the way back before, before my, um, one thing I just want to, I want to I want to say about having a spiritual immune system <laughs> that God wouldn't let us forget where we came from, that we came from heaven, and that we have that knowledge. And I think I just keyed right back into it and found home again. And it, and it, you know, it's easy to let go of the false promises of the ego that there's there's nothing really to be gained, and if you gain anything at all, it's easily as easily lost. But the, the the spiritual immune system that we have that we we come to and we learn to reject all the conditioning that the that the world laid on us, our parents laid on us, that I laid on myself and said something's not right here, this doesn't fit. I don't fit into this form. I'm a free spirit. I am a free spirit. I like that idea. I have a spiritual immune system. <laughs> Thank you, guys. I love you all. <laughs> I'm complete.
Thank you. Oh, thank you, Judy. That is good. I love a spiritual immune system because just just point in case, um, I haven't been sick in five years. I'm not vaccinated. I've been, you know, whatever they tell me I do and except get vaccinated. And I went into victim and I got sick as a dog. <laughs> so it's I love that spiritual immune system. Thank you. Good morning, guys. This is Jessica. Um, this section and the lessons remind me again, for whatever reason, I'm I'm really tuning into the fact that um, every moment, you know, well, because it's part of the reading, every moment of every day, every thought, every decision is about using the teacher. And and also there's another part of the course where he talks about um, bringing all the darkness to the Holy Spirit and hiding nothing. And so that leads me to conclude that praying unceasingly, which I've heard about for years and didn't really know what it meant or what it should mean or could mean to me, this is what it means to me now, is that I, that I offer up to the Holy Spirit any dark thoughts, any resentments, any annoyances, any frustration, you know, just all of that stuff, guilt. Just say, Holy Spirit, oh, look at this with me, please. I see this is happening. And then at the same time, I am, um, what's the other side? I forgot now. Um, at the same time, I am, I am asking Holy Spirit to remind me of my holiness. I'm like, Holy Spirit, um, I'm one with you. I'm one with all. I'm one with God. We are, thank you for being here to remind me that I'm one with God. And this darkness is meaningless. It's all let go and nothing is left but a blessing. It, it's undone. I mean, wow, that is the most, whenever I read a section where it talks about things being undone, I'm just, I'm just so grateful and so excited because there isn't any place in this illusory world where people say, well, yeah, you know, this terrible thing happened and they went to jail for 30 years and now it's undone. <laughs> Maybe they say that, you know, they paid their dues or something like that, but it's never undone. But the truth is, it is undone. It's like, it's over. I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday. This is the last thing I want to say. And this is a friend I've known since, let's see, um, for like 44 years. And he just, uh, she has a friend particularly a friend of her husband's who just passed away last week, who he had known for 50 years. And apparently there was a period of time when 
Uh, actually, this is about the the friend who passed away. It doesn't really matter who's who. We're all one, right? But this man had had a guilt about the fact that he wasn't there when his father died. I think that was like 50 years ago. And here he was dying, and his sons were there with him for like a week, two weeks, something like that. He lived in, he lived in Mexico. Um, and he said that, that their being there had healed the guilt he had about not being there when his father died. And I was saying to my friend, you know, those 56 years are gone. The 56 years of guilt are just gone because now he's healed. And she didn't disagree with me, and I think that's really beautiful because in this world of illusions, most people don't think about things disappearing. Um, There's so much to be said about this section. Thank you guys for being there to review it with me. I'm complete. Well, thank you for your emphasis on the undoing, Jessica. That's where it's all at for me, too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jessica. Thanks, Jessica. Dan, I just have to point out that he makes it pretty clear that, you know, our one task is to accept, accept the atonement, then, you know, all the undoing, it's not really a, even ours. Yeah. We didn't know what we were doing when we made it. We would judge against it and maybe double down. You know, just let it be undone. Is 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 so that we can perceive what the lesson we're communicating today. Um, I think <laughs> a lot of people might say it's airy fairy or or woo or whatever, but that I was, the lessons today are a description I think of the rock that Jesus would say we should build our house on. Absolutely. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lemoyne. Thank you, Lemoyne. Thanks, Lemoyne. Good morning, everyone. This is Lori. And um, I was looking through, uh, again, the first 50 lessons. Sometimes I I love to do that, just read each lesson title in order. Um, Because it opens my mind uh, to the... It just opens my mind... Uh, to what's real. And when I did that this morning, I noticed something about 
this group of five lessons, lesson 58, that's a little bit different than the other groups of five. And um, you might enjoy doing that just, just to uh, capture uh, something that is um, real, very real. The first two lessons in this one, Lesson 58, My Holiness envelops everything I see, and My Holiness blesses everything I see. Those are different than all the other um, lesson titles in the sense that they are active um, and, and represent uh, function. That's it. Active function. My holiness envelops and my holiness blesses. Um, and what I wanted to say about that, um, representation of active functions is, um, I believe, what is meant by saved all your kindnesses have captured the blessed residue and have restored um, those expressions that he gives to um, what happens when I accept atonement for myself. It's, um, I used to think, well, this is like, um, this is like the phoenix rising out of its ashes, you know, that big a deal. Um, and it and it is, and and it absolutely is. But more than that, um, the risen phoenix is entirely new and different, with a different function and positive attributes. You know, I, I think of the atonement exactly like he says, except uh, the undoing, um, in the sense that. Um, all the things that uh, form the basis of my belief in sin, guilt, and fear, all the wrongs I thought I did, all the failures, all the um, regrets, that was gone, you know, just gone. But more than that, you know, I'm going to read you this because this is really, really, really um, important. Back in the reinterpretation of defenses, he said, not being in their right minds, this is before the the atonement, not being in their right minds, they turn their defenses from protection to assault and acted literally insanely. It was essential to introduce a split-proof device which could be used only to heal if it were used at all. The atonement was built into the space-time belief in order to set a limit on the need for belief and ultimately to make learning complete. The final lesson. That is, um, that is where um, 
the notion of the phoenix rising from the ashes the resurrected Christ the behold if any man be in Christ he is a new creation um, all of those those ideas of newness and more than more than complete but whole and holy this lesson is a positive um, a positive statement of the true attributes of the Son of God in creation and accepting atonement for myself is not only um, to accept the undoing but to accept new purpose new function uh, new a new thing that envelops and blesses the manual for teachers he describes it as a power which is in you but not of you it's a new thing it's not a nothing and I think that distinction is important to make and um, and to learn to live into exactly like um, we're given in today's lesson learn to live into the final lesson I'm complete well that was great thank you so much Lori thank you Lori that was great I loved learn to live it because that's what Lemoyne had brought into the picture of every moment it's a decision that I must make. I'm complete. You bet. <laughs> Sounds like wake up, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, pay attention. So Thank you. I'm just in my foggy fog this morning. I'm trying to to really appreciate what you just said, Lori, and um, I'm just, you know, we, there's been um, a lot of dialogue about the active nature of the atonement, that miracles are an act that we do for one, with, with and for each other. I love that, that you remind me of that every morning, Lemoyne, you say this call is with and for each other, um, that um, when I see through um, the eyes of holiness that I am blessing everything I see um, is just um, the beginning of that appreciation of what you just said for me this morning. Thank you, Lori. I'm complete. Thanks for that. 
Thanks, Judy. It reminds me of Lee when um, he used to speak about attending. Just seeing and listening um, is attending to and is an expression of love to others when we listen and, and um, see them. So that's where I'm going with that. Thank you. Good point. Thanks for that. Isn't that what a loving friend does for me, just listens and sees me as I am without judging me and loving me anyways? <laughs> Amen. I'm complete. Yeah, that's for sure. Thanks, Jay. I'm going to take it further and say seeing through the loving eyes of Christ is to see my brother as he is in truth. And that's what makes everybody holy. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Judy. This floor again. On this, my holiness envelops everything I see. Um, I love the review thought uh, because it ends with seeing through understanding eyes. The holiness of the world is all I see. For I can picture only the thoughts I hold about myself. Um, that last sentence was a real stumbling block to me for for a long time um, because I, I felt like I, f I felt like I accepted the undoing, you know, accepted atonement, the final lesson in that holy instant. But I was not exclusively picturing only thoughts I hold about myself. I wasn't. I just 
in all honesty, that is not what I was out picturing. Only thoughts I hold about myself. And, and I wanted to know, um, you know, what's, what's the source of my difficulty here? And, and where, um, where do I find relief of that idea? It, it, the same idea is in Lesson 15, where he says, my thoughts are pictures, or my thoughts are images I have made. Um, and, and I'm looking, and I'm not, um, I'm not looking at images of my thoughts. I felt, and and so in trying to, trying to, um, run down the source of my difficulty, I realized that it works exactly like he said in paragraph 67. Um, in point of fact. And this is brought home so beautifully in A Course of Love. Um, but in point of fact, we're told, your mind can only serve. My mind can only serve. Uh, that's a fact. That is a fact. And every, um, every minute, every second, um, it's like he says in paragraph 67, I'm choosing. Uh, what I serve, either the ego or the Holy Spirit, nothing but these two alternatives are available. But what about my mind, I thought? What about my mind when it isn't serving, you know? <clears throat> well, it turns out, even when I think my mind isn't serving, it's um, out-picturing judgments. And that's that's ego thinking, you know? And, and I was not aware, and, and I had to be made aware by the Holy Spirit of the effect of my thoughts. And even when I um, didn't seem to be thinking, the effect of time-traveling thoughts, ego thoughts, thoughts of separation, uh, essentially thoughts of judgment, were being outpictured uh, for me. Now I didn't realize the extent to which my thoughts were affecting my integrity uh, as a soul. You know, I, I didn't realize it, and uh, that's what I hear you saying, Sandra. That I have to. Um, not have to. I need to allow my mind to relax a little bit, <laughs> soften a little bit, and become aware of um, these waves in my mind. Um, he says, when you are not thinking with the Holy Spirit, you're not thinking at all. <clears throat> and I <clears throat> probably said it too many times by now, but I realized my freedom when I learned to recognize when I wasn't thinking with God. You know, um, I, I didn't realize the extent to which that subliminal—I'm going to say subliminal, sub subconscious uh, narrating 
that's what it is, a subconscious voice narrating my experience and calling everything this, that, the other. And when I, <clears throat> when I learned to pay attention to that inner narrator and recognize it doesn't know what it's talking about, um, it seemed to recede from my awareness and leave me with the thoughts I think with God. Leave me with uh, the present, you know. <clears throat> and so, um, and so, willingness to recognize um, when that narrator is narrating my experience. I'm listening to a storyteller and giving away my natural inheritance of peace was a real important uh, step along the way and to propel me to give me um, to give me even more momentum in the right direction I realized the power of blessing you know if I'm you know inner narrator going on going on this that and the other wait now wait now wait now I can say I bless that situation I bless that situation I am instantly propelled uh, with momentum back into my true function and now I know what he means when he says when you're not thinking with God you're not thinking at all you know um, the momentum uh, for uh, right thinking to me is in blessing and um, and so I'm very, very, very grateful for this lesson today. Uh, I'm complete. Oh, that was great, Lori. Thank you so much. I love when you share. Thank you. Thank you, Lori. It's a great lesson today. I was on the lesson call earlier. And so are you, Fran. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. Mm hmm I'm complete. Thanks, Ada. Thanks, Ada. I just want to mention that false narrator because one of the things that can trigger me into going into victim is false narratives about me. <laughs> and it's such a gift now to see that it's because I'm telling a false narrative about me and, and my people around me are bringing it to my attention that I'm, you know, that false narrative is still victim victim consciousness and and it's me who's shooting myself in the toe <laughs> and I'm grateful for the people around me who are showing me that I'm you know that I'm still doing it and the beauty of it um, I, I'm not sure who's I, I don't know what somebody said but it, it just inspired a thought in my head of just seeing the innocence in it all in my brothers and in myself and you know it's just seeing the innocence and allowing myself to have 
that experience and to feel the feelings, not judging myself for it, just seeing that I'm innocent and letting it pass through instead of going into the victim, which, you know, sometimes it's, that's, I have to experience that again just to see the error of my way. And when I'm uncomfortable enough with it, I, you know, the change will happen. And I'm getting there. I'm complete. Oh, thank you, Sandra. That's so great, Sandra. Yes, that is great, Sandra. Thank you. So I find it helps to, this is Ida, I find it helps to um, to let go of the judgments I'm laying on others, even when they seem to victimize me or treat me unfairly and stuff like that. Um, it's like I get into a mood where I'm just, you know, I'm like, I don't like anybody here except a dog, you know. <laughs> no wonder it's spelled with the same letters as God because they give unconditional love, you know. Very good at that. But anyway, but I just, I go on and do something else. <laughs> and so I distract myself from those types of thoughts and then, some point when I'm doing something else, I find that I'm not thinking those thoughts anymore against the other people uh, or thinking that they treated treated me unfairly or whatever. And that's what helps me. That's something that helps me. Thanks very much. I'm complete. Thank you, Ida. Hi. Thank you, Ida. Um, just going back to what Jessica said is um, praying without ceasing that um, I've been practicing the here I am Lord prayer I am all yours and um, not thinking of anything else um, you know and just keeping my mind fixed on on the atonement um, as a universal principle how um, he would not have me judge anything, including myself, that I am not an image that I made. Um, relinquishing this image that Judy's made and thinks she thinks she is, um, is was, was and continues to be a, a part of that process that I hold no thoughts for myself, the I-self in me that is e- to be egotistical. Um, that I don't own, Judy doesn't own anything, or Judy doesn't possess anything, that Judy of herself, she is nothing. Um, But in Christ awareness, in Christ consciousness, that seeing through the eyes, seeing through God's eyes this way, let me, here I am, Lord, I'm all yours, let me see this through your eyes, no matter where I go, let me see this through your eyes and um, let me listen with your ears and what would you have me see and what would you have me hear and then you know listening to the voice that would answer in kind 
and how it would respond is is learning that the Holy Spirit's voice is my voice, um, the way Lori you so beautifully expressed quite often lately. Um, and I cherish that thought that that voice is my voice. I don't think of it as yet Judy having it it as another voice. I think of it as my voice, which unifies me with the mind, restores my mind to God's, remembers me, not like I'm re- I'm remembering it, but I'm remembering a part of God back to Himself as oneself, and um, it's just it's the the way that I'm more intimately able to experience the unity and the the state of grace, which is the state of mind. Now that's very easily accessible because He's always with me wherever I go, and um, His voice speaks to me all through the day, and if I listen. You know that um, listen, learn, and do, and that—that that is the um, slogan for the for the Great Awakening. That I'm immune to to thoughts that would frighten me. Um, I I need not worry because his care for me is is infinite. He's always already ever present. His presence, capital presence, is with me wherever I go, and holding that in my heart in my whole being, not just in my body, but in my whole beingness, which then extends out to everything and everyone and um, gets a real sense of that, um, sense of that oneness and unity with everything. Um, that's a natural extension of who, who we are in truth that um, isn't limited by the body. So, you know, letting go, totally letting go and, just saying, here I am, Lord, I'm all yours. Have your way with me is <laughs> what brings me to to that state of mind that's joyful and free. Thank you so much for being here. I love you all. Love you too. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Judy. Thank you, Jude. One more thing that I do if I have sort of, I call them leftover, negative thoughts about somebody, um, is like I imagine a gigantic cloud that's like symbolizes the Holy Spirit to me. And I put them, I see them in my mind in the cloud, which is the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is then wrapping them up, like and it's all around them and encompassing them. And uh, I find that helps as well. Thank you. Nice pet. Thanks for that. Lori, are you all right? 
maybe she had to go to the bathroom or something. Yeah, she'll be back. One, one thing that really keeps me on track is... I didn't, um, <laughs> I didn't know I was off. Oh, go ahead, Lori. They're waiting for you. No, I, I, had, no, I had nothing. I, I, I didn't know that my mute button was stuck. I've been thanking people right along. And <laughs> I beg your pardon. Excuse me. Go ahead. Well, that um, prayer that I ordinarily acknowledge in the mornings, I will not mind be done. Um, and in recognition that, that God's will for me is perfect happiness present happiness, present happiness in the here and now, and that if I'm not happy, I'm the one disturbing my own peace, and I can change my mind, um, you know, to to see something differently, to open my heart and my mind, and, and to let go of whatever judgment I put on the moment of the person or the situation, and to see it differently, um, the power of choosing over putting myself in misery. Reminding and I'm never comfortable unless I'm in the state of grace. If I'm in heaven, that's where I'm comfortable. That's where I'm at peace. That's where I feel easy and natural. And and if I'm not feeling that ease and comfort and, and peaceful, gentle kind of feeling, then um, I'm not I've I've left my I'm missing my mark. I've I've left, I've forgotten somehow um who I am or where I am. I'm thinking I'm in the body again and um I'm using perception instead of vision and um so that you know that um prayer that's at the end of this chapter that, you know, I recognize that I'm not in a state of peace but it's not just about being in peace. It's it's about being in a state of joy. That limitless joy is something that we don't even think about imagining, but this is what we should learn to imagine and want, that this is what I really want. And the question is in the text today, what is it I want? Do I want heaven? Do I want limitless joy? Do I want limitless peace? Because that's how God created me. And it's only me that can deprive me of that because it's between me and God, and God never leaves me. So it's with that affirmation that I I stand, I stand, try to stand in the truth of that. And um, that's hopefully um, how Christ is, is teaching me to follow him and what he learned and um, practiced while he was on earth as Jesus, as a man, and... Um, you know, that the transcendental awareness is that we're in the world, but we're not of it, and we should be of good cheer, and that the ego cannot prevail against the united power of the limitless joy and limitless peace of the kingdom of God. <laughs> and that's a wrap. I'm complete. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for that. Thank you, Judy. That was great. Hello? 
this is Lemoyne, and uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I had to mute someone whose uh, mind was making noise, and now they're gone. Oh, well. Oh, well. Um, I think uh, at this point to thank everyone who's been here and who's shared and ask if there's anyone else who has something they'd like to say before we proceed to a close on the recording. Any, anyone else? Okay. I can't well, wait. Go ahead, Judy. I'm just looking. I'm just looking at tomorrow's reading and getting all excited. <laughs> That's all. Thank you, Lemoyne. Okay. Um. Yeah, there's a few things I want to say about this, and um, it's funny. Uh, this uh, the title of this section used to drive me crazy. Because it's like, <clears throat> it says the two decisions, but it seems to really only present one choice <clears throat> between two things. And that's one decision, to my mind. And it's like, why is it two? <laughs> and so on and so on. And... uh And so, you know, I would, I was like, am I missing something, or is it just a, a wonky title? What's going on here? And uh, <clears throat> it's interesting because uh, although I, I can see, you know, this choice between, uh, well, it, it's a choice that's a theme right straight to the course, ending with this last section of chapter 31 where it says choose once again and it's like um <clears throat> and I think yes here I've got it here so I'm going to read it where it says choose once again if you would take your place among the saviors of the world or would remain in hell and choose your brothers there for Christ has come, and he is asking this. And, you know, this is kind of variously described as the re real choice, or the choiceless choice. Um, but <laughs> I get the thing, there are, there are, it was a distinction between uh, <clears throat> choice and decision, where choice is to choose freely, you know, whatever I consider is to make a free choice, not one driven by external causes or making me the effect, but to really make 
a free choice is to, you know, give whatever consideration I wish and then choose. Just choose freely. Uh, whereas decision is the word decide is related to words like, uh, well, homicide, fratricide, <laughs> all the all these killing words that a decision is to consider and then on the basis of the consideration, cut away one of the alternatives and to and decide for the other by cutting the other one away. And that is the way that he describes his choice between the ego to view ourselves as, as an effect of, of fear and judgment <clears throat> or um, to choose the Holy Spirit and uh, view ourselves as perhaps cause of, of uh, peace, joy, and freedom. And so, you know, there, there's a, each of them uh, in the text, it, it kind of got through to me today, each of those cho- seeming choices, separate things, ego, Holy Spirit, are a decision. They're a decision about who I really am. And there's two ways to decide that. And uh, so there are two decisions. But underneath it, it's like there's one one real choice um, when it's made on the basis of, of uh, peace and the uh, real joy of sharing uh, the choice to be as we were created, which is whole, holy, innocent, and free. So um, I don't know if that was helpful, but this is something that is really, in the past, the, the title is, kind of thrown me and I've not really been able to uh, to get this thing that you know we this is there is each moment of, is, of decision is a judgment which is anything but ineffectual we, the alternatives are unalterable but we can choose how we conceive, perceive, believe ourselves to be. And it's the Holy Spirit or the ego. Host to God or hostage to the ego. And uh, now there's a there's a lot to be said on behalf of the, the former. Yeah. But I think the one simple basis that uh, we'll turn to here in this choice that is repeated throughout the text. Oh, let's see, where have I lost it? There it is. <clears throat> um, and this is from uh, Chapter 8, The Journey Back, The Introduction. 
where he returns to first principle here and says, um, let's just read the beginning of the introduction. You are hampered in your progress by your demands to know what you do not know. This is actually a way of holding on to deprivation. You cannot reasonably object to following instructions in a course for knowing on the grounds that you do not know. The need for the course is implicit in the objection. Knowledge is not the motivation for learning this course. Peace is. As the prerequisite for knowledge, peace must be learned. This is only because those who are in conflict are not peaceful, and peace is the condition of knowledge because it is the condition of the kingdom. And so in these two choices, there's one voice that focuses on the lack of peace, but instead of just filling the lack, um, it chooses the means that will preserve, you know, preserve a struggle, uh, preserve the lack, really. <laughs> okay. So, and that's the ego. The ego's from paragraph three. The ego's voice is an hallucination. You cannot expect it to say, I am not real. Or add in the context of today's reading. You cannot expect it to say, I am safe. Hallucinations are inaccurate perceptions of reality. Yet you are not asked to dispel them alone. You are merely asked to evaluate them in terms of their results to you. If you do not want them on the basis of loss of peace, they will be removed from your mind for you. Every response to the ego is a call to war, and war does deprive you of peace. Yet in this war, there is no opponent save yourself. This is the reinterpretation of reality which you must make to secure peace. And the only one you need ever make. And so... With that, just point out to one thing: the ego is the idea of conflict, and uh, to choose on the basis of peace makes makes its insanity clear and makes it easier to disbelieve. And I'm complete uh, there. I thank you all for being here. That was great, Lemoyne. Thank you. Thank you, Lemoyne. I missed part of it, but the part I heard was great. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, thank you, Jessica, and everyone who's been here, been here, been here listening, reading, sharing. And uh, all those who come later to listen, 
Have a blessed day. And on the recording, but not the call.